You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Today, we find ourselves in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a very popular passage. Always kind of scary to preach on popular passages because everybody already knows it. You've already heard them preach probably more profoundly than I'm about to preach it. Um, But I want it to kind of soak into our hearts and to realize that love poured out looks very different uh, than um, the way that uh, the rest of the world would call us to care for people. The Bible pushes us further and further to love people with the greatest love imaginable. So here's where we find the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is already preaching. People are coming up to him, asking questions. And Jesus brings out this parable as a way of illustrating what he wants to say. So a lawyer comes up first, someone who's used to dealing with laws and making judgments and cases. And the lawyer Uh, stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is it written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus takes over 600 commands in the Old Testament. You're a lawyer. You know the rules. What do you think the rules are all about? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So a lawyer whose professional job is to look throughout the Old Testament and figure out how to go about living out these laws best of justice and things like that, he just boils it all down. If I was to, in my professional opinion, tell you what those 600 laws are all about, Despite how confused they get with people today, it's really about loving God and loving people. It's it's that simple. And this is why many churches have the tagline, loving God, loving people. Ours is in Jackson as it is in heaven, which we believe is the same thing, because heaven is a place of love that we're trying to, to bring here. But Jesus, desiring to justify himself, oh no, sorry, the lawyer, the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to put boundaries on this. I just said, love God, love your neighbors. Jesus is like, correct. But now the lawyer kind of wants to backpedal. Like, okay, but how far do I really have to extend that loving other people thing? And so Jesus responds with a parable. He replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is like, that's that's walking off of a mountain. So this is quite a walk. He's walking several hundred feet in sea level change as he's doing this. Uh, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite... When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil 
pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him back to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, which is about two months' worth of staying in this inn, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever is needed, uh, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This little uh, parable right here is uh, quite an interesting parable on things like racism. There's a Jewish man who falls prey to some robbers and is left on the ground beat up half dead. Now, there are many people who should come along and take care of this man, including the kinds of people that you would think would be the first ones to do it, right? A priest comes by. This is a holy man. This is a man who, who should be practicing the law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet he sees this man, and he does what many of us do when we're walking down the road and we see somebody coming our way. We kind of cross to the other side on the sidewalk to not intersect paths. The priest does that. He sees the person beat up and just walks around him. The priest, the holy man, the one who should know the law, the one who should know to love his neighbor as himself. Next comes a Levite. And the priests, they are Levites. So Levites are like within this line of the holy people, the ones who are supposed to really know the law, the ones who are supposed to kind of take care of sacrificial things within the temple, things like that. A Levite comes by, sees his brother on the side of the road, beaten up. This is his neighbor. There shouldn't be any racism between them. But for whatever reason, the Levite also kind of crosses over on the other side of the road and just keeps going, leaving this man half dead in the road for however long he still has to go uh, to get all the way to Jericho. Then comes a Samaritan. Now, Jews and Samaritans had a lot of racial tension between them. They used to have a unified story. They were both Israelites. The Jews were Israelites, and the Samaritans were Israelites. They're all from the same family. But there were divisions within their kingdom. And uh, you know how there's 12 tribes in Israel? Well, there were those of Judah who stayed in their area where they worshipped God at Mount Zion, which was Jerusalem. This was God's holy space. This was where they worshipped. So those of Judah stayed in those places doing those things, but there was separations in the kingdom, and about 10 of the 12 tribes ended up in a different part of the land, and they just went by the name Israel. So Judah became Jews, and Israel was then captured by Assyria, and then many of the Assyrians moved in, and then there was intermarriage between their races. And then there's interreligion going on between them. And now you've got uh, Israel becoming Samaritans, while the Jews hold out that like they're the true Israelites who have worshipped God on Mount Zion. Now, over time, the Israelites saw that uh, the Jews were building back up their old temple. And they came and they said, we want to we join you in that. Can we do that? 
And the Jews said, no, you can't. And so Israel still wanted to worship God, but they weren't allowed to go to Mount Zion. They weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem. They weren't allowed to, to go to the place that had historically been theirs, so they built their own. They built a, a new temple. So now you've got the Jews worshiping in Jerusalem at the real temple, is what they would say. And then you've got Israelites who weren't welcome to that, Samaritans who weren't welcome to that, building their own temple somewhere else. So now there's racial tension between them. The Jews look at the Samaritans and they, they consider them half-breeds. They might even go so far to be like, you all, you're, you're demon-possessed. Why? Because there were some Jews that looked at Jesus and as a racial slur and insult to Jesus, they're like, aren't, you, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Oh, that, that seems like a jump. Except we do that all the time to people. How often do you find someone of another race, another religion, they do something you don't understand, they have a piece of culture you don't understand, and you look at them and you think less of them, and you even bring demons into it? Oh, they probably got demons. That's the real problem. We demonize things we don't understand. We demonize people that we don't like. And over the last several years, America has done that like crazy. There's a great book by Erica Lee. It's called America for Americans. And it's all about xenophobia. And xenophobia is like, it's the hate of people of other cultures. It's essentially racism. But right now, we've seen a lot of racism between white people and how they treat black people. And then throughout a lot of Trump's campaign, we saw a lot of hatred between Americans and how they treated Mexicans. Now to us, that kind of feels like, uh, for a lot of people that might feel like this is recent conversation, this is stuff that's happening. But this historian, Erica Lee, in this huge book, America for Americans, shows how America has been like that since the beginning. It's just this thick book of footnotes. Here is how we treated Catholics. Here is how we treated Irish people. Here is how we treated Germans. Here is how we treated Africans. Here, and here's how we treated Asians. Here's how we treated the Japanese. And, and here's all the different kind of concentration camp-like things, like the stuff that we did a while back with putting kids in cages and separating them from their families. This kind of stuff has happened all throughout history with every single race that has come to America. This melting pot that we pretend that we're famous for is something that especially white people have raised up in xenophobic ways to say the other person is other, the other person is demonized, the other person is not worth intersecting with, they're intermingled, they're interbred, all these kinds of things. This is as old as the Bible itself. And Jesus tells a story of racism. And he says, who was the real neighbor? Who was the one who actually performed the law? Was it the holy priest? Was it the holy Levite? Was it the, the holy Jewish people? Or was it the Samaritan? Was it the half-breed? Was it the one that you called demon-possessed? Was it the one that, that you found racial tension with? Was it that one? And Jesus' answer is, of course it's the Samaritan. The last person any of us expected to pick up the Jewish man on the middle of the road that probably would have judged him. Of course it was the Samaritan. 
The Samaritan knew what it was like to see another person made in God's image and say, I don't care who they are or what they're like, they need my help and I'm going to be there. And so often that is not how we operate in the church. The church is more famous for the kinds of people they ostracize than the kinds of people that they reach out to. Every few decades, a new hot topic comes into view, and we are so quick to just defend our morals and all these things rather than say, that is a person who needs to be loved, and I need to start there. And as I do that, I will allow God to bring whatever conviction he wants, recognizing that a lot of that conviction is probably a conversation between God and that person. And I can feed that conversation as that goes along, but God is the one who brings about conviction. God is the Holy Spirit that is, is shifting us and changing us and chiseling us. And we are here to help each other along that path. If we could act more like that every time we found ourselves in these places, then we would all be good Samaritans, saying it doesn't matter what other people are like. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter their genealogy. It doesn't matter if our families had fights before. I can love this person in front of me. And that's radical to the rest of the world. Shane Claiborne was uh, in Baghdad. Shane Claiborne is a very popular kind of American prophet of sorts. Um, who does a lot of change around social justice issues. Uh, and uh, while he was in Baghdad, they were trying to preach peace. They were going about bringing about different conversations, create peace in different areas. And they were driving down a treacherous area where there were cars on fire. There were all kinds of things going on. And they hit something. And I'm not sure they entirely know what, but it, it blew a tire. The car swerved off the road. And everybody in the car was injured in some way, from broken bones to head trauma. It was a bad accident. So they get out in this Palestinian area, and it's the locals, the Samaritans, the ones that you wouldn't expect to pick up the Americans. It's the Palestinians that pick them up, the first people that drive by. They pick them up and they drive them to the nearest hospital, just like the Good Samaritan story. And when they get to the nearest hospital, guess what they find out? The hospital has been bombed by Americans. The hospital, which I think is against the Geneva Convention, but the hospital has been bombed by Americans. Here are all these injured Americans that have been brought to this hospital. Their children's ward is all blown up. And now they have to figure out, like, okay, we're going to die here. He's, he's going into shock from his head trauma, and the nearest hospital is so far away. Like, this is it. So what do these, these doctors who have just been bombed by Americans, who now have Americans in front of them, how do they react? They come in and say, why are your people bombing our hospital? Why would you do that? They're like, okay, we'll make our way on. We're sorry. No, 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 we'll serve you. Just give us a minute to set up a makeshift hospital. So they make a makeshift hospital, and they take care of all of them. And Shane Claiborne and his friends survived that incident because somebody showed good Samaritan love in that time. And they tried to pay them, and they said, no, 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 we're not taking your money. They said, if, if you want to pay us back, just tell the story of how we took care of you wherever you go. So they did. A whole book was written on this, this uh, incident. 
That's the Good Samaritan. That's the kind of enemy love that the Bible teaches. Somebody blew up your hospital. Will you still take care of their race? But so often we see one thing we don't like, and then we take everything about that one thing, and we merge it all together. Everyone is like this. Everyone is like this. We can all fall into that trap. We can all be responsible from micro-racism to major racism. One of the things that I was really upset with myself is I grew up in Westland, which is like suburbs of Detroit area. My school was like very multiracial. It felt like 50% white, 50% black, uh, where I had come from a, a village of just white people before that. So now I'm engaged in all kinds of racial relations. And then my family moves to Chelsea, which is all white people again. <laughs> and as I'm sitting at the lunch table, I hear people around me say, yeah, I think I'm actually a little bit racist. And I hate this about myself, but I remember that day admitting the same thing. And I look back at that, I'm like, why would I say I was a little bit racist? What, what changed between that time? And I felt this conviction. After I had moved out of that area and been removed from people of other races, the only relations I had anymore was like music videos of people, which often had guns and money and all this stuff. And suddenly my brain just started to say, like, everyone like that is like that. And they're not. When we lump all white people into one thing, we turn them into something. When we lump all black people into one thing, we turn them into something. When we lump all Mexicans into something. This is what we do so often. And we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to confess our own racism if we want to love our neighbors rightly. The church right now has a whole lot of problems in it that it's just shoved down. We saw during the pandemic all of these problems that were rising to the surface. And when things calmed down, we shoved it back down. The church will explode with that stuff again because it did not take care of it. And when that happens, you need to be the reconcilers. You need to be the good Samaritans. You need to be the ones that don't lump everybody into a category, but you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You need to not be the lawyer who knows how to preach that you love your neighbor, but doesn't actually want to love your neighbor, wants to put boundaries on that. You actually need to go the distance and completely love your neighbor. No walls, no boundaries. Doesn't matter if they're your enemy. Doesn't matter if they bombed your hospital. Love your neighbor as yourself. All racial walls down. The early church was a, uh, a movement to dismantle racism. I'll always find that interesting. Is that the... Christian movement was built on giving their faith away to people that could uh, not always understand their faith very well. That God sent them right out to the Gentiles. He didn't even give the church time to figure out what the church was. <laughs> Jesus has died, he's ascended, they've got like 50 days, and then suddenly God just like shows up with the Holy Spirit and says, all right, go out and reach the Gentiles. That messed with their heads. Because they were sure that if they were going to reach people outside of their own Jewish faith, 
that those people are going to have to follow their rules, that those people are going to have to change their traditions and their cultures and all these things and live the right way. But that's not what the Holy Spirit seemed to show them. The Holy Spirit just sent them out, said, make me king of their cultures, and I will teach them along the way. And so they took their 600 rules that they used to have, and as they gave it away to Gentiles and the, they invited people into their new Christian faith, they, they told people, like, here's four guidelines we think you should follow if you're going to join us. And so the Gentiles started following these guidelines and started following Jesus. And they had a lot of messes to figure out, but the Holy Spirit has been at work over centuries of helping people chisel through that all. And I think one of the most beautiful stories of putting your walls down is found in the eunuch in Acts 6, I think. There's a missionary named Philip, and Philip is sent directly to a eunuch by both the Holy Spirit and by an angel. Now, it's not every day you see an angel, and it's not every day you have a supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit. Philip had both sent to a eunuch, and that's a very ambiguous situation. We don't know if this eunuch was someone who uh, wanted to become Jewish. We don't know if he had become Jewish. We don't know if he wasn't Jewish at all, but was just reading the scriptures of the Jews at the time. We don't know. We don't know his religious background. And yet Philip is sent to him. We don't know where he lands on the conversations of LGBT type stuff. Because if you're castrated at a young age, that has an impact on your body and causes plenty of confusion and bodily changes that otherwise don't happen. He could be possibly across the spectrum in lots of ways. The Bible doesn't say. But when they heard that a eunuch was being reached by the Holy Spirit, there's another wall down. The religious wall is confusing. The sexuality wall is confusing. And then if we keep following it, we don't know, is he free? Is he slave? Is he rich? Is he poor? Because eunuchs were typically like they, they worked for royalty. But he also seems to be in charge of the carriage that he's, in, he's driving. So it might be that he's like high up the chain of slavery, but also still a slave and could be really well treated as kind of like royalty or he could be very badly treated at the bottom. We don't know. All we know is that despite all the ambiguity of who this eunuch is, an angel and the Holy Spirit told Philip, go minister and save that person. And that should be a strong story to the rest of us, is that we will not always understand when we are being sent out into the ambiguity of people's lives what to do. But we are nonetheless being sent out into the ambiguity of their lives. So next time you see a person that you think is the kind of person you don't want to be around or the kind of person that you put in a box or try to stereotype in one way or another, instead, pause yourself, stop yourself, and say, God loves this person, and I am going to be the good Samaritan today, the one who puts the walls down and loves the people around me. That if I found somebody on the side of the road that fit the perfect stereotype of something, that I didn't like, I would pull out two months worth of cash to put them in an inn while they heal. 
That's the radical love that Jesus responds to this lawyer with. There are no walls. There are no boundaries. It is messy. It is confusing. It is ambiguous. But the Holy Spirit is good. And he can teach us what to do in each situation if we listen. So, Jesus, we come before you right now. Uh, many of us somewhere in our bones have some anger or aggression towards some stereotype somewhere. And we just need to be honest with ourselves about it so that we can put those walls down so that we can reach the people around us. We need your love to permeate us so that that same love can pour out of us into the people around us. Teach us how to do that well so that we can become all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.